are in week number three of a five-part series we're calling You Asked For It. And let me take a moment, as I always do, to look right out of the camera and to welcome all of those who are viewing on local cable TV and on Facebook.com. We literally have people from uh, the United Kingdom, from Brazil, from Georgia, from Arkansas, from Wyoming, all over our great state that tune in each and every Sunday. In fact, do us a favor and actually comment right now where you're watching from, and we'll do, uh, we'll do you a favor and pray for you this week in our staff meeting. If you do that, let us know where you're watching. Come on, church family. Let's tell them hello like we never had before. We honor you. That's awesome. Now, this series began because of something that Jesus did. Oftentimes, Jesus' sermons came from questions that the crowd posed. He would take those questions and build these amazing messages from them, and we want to do the same thing. We want to cover material that you want to know about and that's relevant to your life. So today, we're going to talk about your second most asked question on that little Easter survey that we did. And the question today is, how in the world do I handle my stress? How do I handle stress? How do I balance life and kids and job and recreational activities and sports and busy weekends? The world is stressed. In fact, we have stress institutes. I didn't know this, but I began to look at some of their research. And some of the research has shown that that, uh, most Americans, 44% of Americans, I should say, say they have more stress in their lives than they did five years ago. So if that's true, then our stress levels are growing at a rate of about 9% every single year. And one out of five people, one out of five Americans, say they live in what's called extreme stress. So they're shaking and, and, and they're, they're always, they're depressed, they're losing sleep, their heart's beating faster. One out of five. That's pretty epidemic if you ask me. And, and they say 60% of all illnesses find their root in our stress. And so that's a problem. So we're getting sick. It's how we're getting sick. This is obviously a relevant topic. And the good news is God's word has a whole lot to say on the subject. So why are we stressed? Well, research has shown us a few things. I'm going to go through a couple of these, just some of the reasons that you might be stressed. Number one is relationships. Right, your family, your friends, your work relationships. Relationships can be stressful. Second is conflict. And we talked about that last week. If you weren't here, we talked about forgiveness. I encourage you to jump on a Facebook Live or colonialhill.org and listen to last week's message. But there's conflict in those relationships. The next one would be I'm married. <laughs> Read, I'm sitting next to my stress right now. Thank you very much, right? That's, that's part of your stress. I get it. Some of you, <laughs> I got an amen over here. Oh, praise Jesus. I do counseling through the week if you want to come by. Uh, the next one's I'm not married. Some of you are like, I want to be married. And I don't have a husband, and that's why I'm stressed. Right? The next one would be deadlines. So your homework, your term papers, your research projects, deadlines for work, those kinds of things. Legal problems, that's definitely one, but it's a tough one. And there'll be some of you that, that, are, that are dealing with legal issues you're trying to work through. Divorce, that's a stress cause or separation in the home. A new job, that could be stressing me out. Right? I know six months ago, it was kind of stressing me out. You want to start well. Some of you, it's an old job. <laughs> That's stressing me out, Pastor Reed. Illnesses, right? I talked about that a minute ago, but many of our illnesses are rooted in our stress. So it becomes this cycle because stress causes illnesses and illnesses cause stress. So this is the vicious cycle that we live with. Parenting, 
By the way, uh, my wife and I started on Wednesday a parenting small group. So let me just give a little plug for small groups. If you're not in a small group, get in a small group. We want to make relationships relevant and accessible for you. You were created for community. And we have a, a parenting on purpose small group from 530 to 630. We did that intentionally because your kids would be preoccupied with activities going on at the church. So you can come to dinner at 5, eat a good meal. And from 530 to 630, join us in the sanctuary for a parenting on purpose. Uh, we're going to be intentional about our parenting and getting better about that, but we'd love to have you be a part of our small group. But there's lots of them to choose from. Log on to colonialhill.org, click on the small groups banner and sign up. You're not too late. You just missed one, one week. Expectations of others. So everybody else wants something from you. That can be stressful. Unresolved sin. Right, whether you're carrying guilt or, or shame, uh, you haven't really resolved that, and it will wear you out. And let me just say right here, right now, don't leave this place with unresolved sin. Come, that's why you're in church. Lay that sin at the feet of Jesus and leave here with that stress gone out of your life. Another stress is my cross that bet with Josh. <laughs> I'm stressed, y'all. He's getting close. I'm not happy about it. Uh, <laughs> I want to like, when he gets to 99, I'm going to like start kidnapping kids. You can't go in there. You can't go in there. Oh, Lord. I'm going to, he's going to hit that number. Uh, the truth is we have a lot of sources for stress. And in fact, Jesus promises this stress is going to come. I think sometimes we misunderstand or misinterpret God's promises. And we say, well, well he, he, he said there would be no trouble. No, he said the exact opposite. In fact, in John 16, 33, he says, I've told you these things. Like I've told you everything I've told you from John 14 to 16. So that in me... You may have peace. Like, I want you to have peace. And you're not going to find it in sympathy cards or in church members or even in a pastor. You're going to find it only in me, in Jesus, he said. In me, you may have peace. And he says, in this world, you will have trouble. Like, it's coming. That was one of the last things he said to us before he left earth. He says, hey, you're going to have trouble. But then he said, take heart, be comforted, don't freak out. I have overcome the world. Which is pretty cool that he said that because at the time he said that he had not gone to the cross. So he'd not really overcome anything in the physical, which tells me that inside of time and outside of time and all the time, he's overcome it all. He says, that's why you can find your peace in me. And I want to show you today that you can find peace. And I cannot guarantee that your circumstances will change, but I can guarantee there is peace available in the midst of your circumstances. There is. And you don't have the stress. Psalm 34, 19 is a, a great verse. This is the New King James Version. It says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. So even people who love God, we have these afflictions. I'm going to define that in a moment. But for those of you who would say, God, what in the world's going on? I'm praying. It doesn't work. That's bad theology. Well, God, I'll try to be a good person. I'm going to try to be at church every single Sunday. It doesn't work that way. He doesn't reward you based on your church attendance or you giving or you're serving or you're praying or you're reading your Bible. In fact, we do all of those things. We do reading of our Bible and, and, and praying and giving and serving. We do all those things to facilitate the ability to have the Lord deliver us out of all of those afflictions. That's why we do those things. The closer you get to God, the more in love you become with God. He doesn't take those things away. He gives you the capacity in the middle of those things to stand strong. And that's what I want to help you do today. In fact, I love that highlighted word afflictions. Uh, if you look at the original Hebrew language there, the Old Testament Hebrew word, it's the same for the Assyrian form of torture, 
where they would put you on a post, they would tie you to that post, and they would put rock upon rock on top of you until you were crushed dead. That's what that's the same word as the word afflictions. And that's where some of you are today, if you're honest. Pastor Reed, I feel like if there's one more rock on top of me that I'm going to be crushed. If I have anything else added to my plate, it's over for me. And my heart goes out to you. And I realize you're trying to put on a good smile and do your best by being here at church. But I want to make sure you leave here with some good promises and some good principles from God's word that can change your life. Amen, everybody? That's what I'm hoping for today. By the way, I love you. I want you to know JC and I love you. Our team loves you. We pray for you. I want to show you a passage of scripture that is, is really been rare to me in the sense that it's, it's arrested me. I, I absolutely love Psalm 62. It's, yeah, I've just been camping out in it all week long. But it says this. It says, find rest, oh my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress and I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him for God is our refuge. And then it uses this, this little word, Selah. It's found 77 times in the book of Psalms because it, it's, it's a musical term and it's the word Selah, Selah. And you may not know what that means, but it's a Hebrew musical term. In fact, all of these Psalms were sung. And Selah means basically, hey, we just got through singing this. Let's let the band play it through one more time, but we're not gonna sing it. We're just gonna pause and we're gonna reflect and we're gonna think on these things, Selah. That's what that means. So think about this. Ponder on this. Pause. I'm so glad you're at church today because I really believe one of the highlights of Colonial Hill is we are that refuge that that scripture talks about. We are that safe place. There's a place in the middle of your stress you can go to and there is rest for your soul. It's found here. You can find it in other places as well. As we continue reading Psalm 62 beginning in verse 9, it gives us a clue of the places to look for to find that rest. It says, low-born men, and that just means average people, are but a breath. So our, our, our lives are not very long at all. In fact, James would say that they're a mist that dissipates in moments. The high-born, so those are people whom we would call successful, are but a lie. So you think people are happy because of their earthly success, but chances are they're probably just as miserable as you are. And if weight on a balance, they are nothing. Together, they are only a breath. So whether you're lowborn or highborn, time is short. So he's trying to communicate this idea of time being short. Your time is a breath. If you put it on a scale, it doesn't like it's it's over. It, it's, it starts and it's over. Do not trust in extortion or take pride in stolen goods, though your riches increase. So now we've shifted from time, talking about time and the length of life, to money. He's talking about what I would consider to be the two main culprits of stress, time and money. I actually think there's three main culprits, the other being relationships, which we talked about last week. But he says, I think there's a couple of culprits that are really robbing you of peace. And that's how you spend your time and how you spend your money. He says, do not set your heart on them. So let me take a few minutes and I want to talk about each of those individually. The first one is time. And we got to get a grasp on how we spend our time. And I just want to say it as plain as I can. I'm going to put my hat, pastor hat on for just a minute. 
You cannot do everything you're currently doing. It's impossible. You can't. So stop trying. You have to come to the place where you say, man, I've got to figure out what life is really all about and focus my time and energy on those things. I've got to stop trying to do everything everybody asks me to do all the time. And if you don't do that, you're going to experience burnout. I know this because I've lived this. As I'm reading Psalm 62, I'm reminded of... uh, Daniel chapter 5. You remember in Daniel chapter 5, it's the story of the handwriting on the wall. It's a really cool story in scripture uh, where there's this guy and his life's out of control. And so this hand shows up and it starts writing. And I don't know if the hand was like floating in the room by itself or if it came out of a box like in the Adams family. I'm not real sure how that happened, but this hand appears and starts writing this inscription and nobody knows how to interpret the inscription except Daniel. Daniel says, I can translate And so the inscription says, meeny, meeny, tekel, parson. Daniel comes along and says, here's what those words mean. The meeny word means that God has numbered the days of your reign. And he's brought it to an end. In other words, hey buddy, your days are numbered. The word tekel means your life has been weighed. You see in the parallel with Psalm 62 here? You've been found wanting, so he weighed your life and it doesn't add up. It's out of balance. And the word Perez means your kingdom is divided. In other words, he's saying that your days are numbered, your days are numbered, your lives are out of balance, and it's going to cost you something. That's what Daniel's saying. And I would say that to you as well. Your days are numbered. Everybody in the room. Some of us have fewer numbers than the rest. Like, your days are numbered. If you were to ask the people that love you the most, would they say your life is out of control? Because I have a feeling some of them would. Yeah, your life is more out of control than in control. And if you don't get that figured out, it's going to cost you something. It just will. Every time. That's why you came to church today, to hear a prophetic warning from God so that you can make some course corrections before it's too late. Here's the takeaway. I want you to look at your schedule. I want you to look at your life and look at how much you're trying to do in your life and ask yourself, is this right or is this out of balance? And JC and I do this weekly. We, we try to meet and have calendar meetings and we talk about things and we really do make those decisions together. One of the biggest problems in the beginning of our marriage is we didn't have those calendar meetings and now we do. And so before either of us commit to anything, we always have a conversation and we said, we got to make time for God. We got to make time for each other. We got to make time for our kids. We got to make time for our church. And does anything else fall? You know, like if we have extra time, awesome. But, but sometimes we don't. And so we have to wrestle through some of those conversations. One of the best things, by the way, you can do on your Sabbath is not just come to church and go home and call it a day, but to continue your Sabbath and go home and have some more Sabbath. Look at your life. Think about what God said to you today and help you adjust some things in your world. We all need that adjustment from time to time. So when I first got here, uh, it, it, it was kind of crazy. I came from a church that was kind of explosive with growth. We were averaging about 3,000 people, and about half of that had come in the last two years uh, that I had been there. I was there for four years. And so I came here, and I see this stuff work, and so I want to implement some of these same strategies and systems. And, and yet, um, the thing I forgot was that we had a staff of eight, and, and I was all by myself. <laughs> so I was trying to do a lot of things, and in June, it kind of caught up with me, if I'm honest with you. 
So, so I was teaching twice a week. I was preaching on Sunday morning and Sunday evening. Um, then I was also uh, leading a small group in June. I was attending a small group because I wanted to support my friend Jerry. So I was going to a small group. I was leading a small group. I was teaching our Next Steps class. Um, I was obviously counseling. I love counseling, but that ate up a lot of my discretionary time. My door is always open. I love to be interrupted by people that I love. Um, but that just meant that I wasn't getting a lot of my work done during the day. Uh, I was also serving on a lot of committees, including two extra committees trying to find Josh, trying to find Cliff. So we had a music minister search committee and a youth minister search committee. And one night it kind of just, it's, it just struck me. I don't know if Chris Oliver's here today. I don't, I don't see him. But anyway, um, I emailed Chris. He was our, our chair of our music minister search committee. And I just emailed him something. It was at 2.44 a.m. And he responded when he woke up in the six o'clock hour. And then I responded at 6.33 a.m. to his response. And then he responded to my response. He said, do you ever go to bed? (laughs) And that was the the light bulb going on moment for me of like, I can't do this. I can't keep going at this pace. Uh, I, number one, need help. And I'm so thankful for Pastor Josh. Are we thankful for Pastor Josh? He's here. And we're going to get some more help. I was trying to do too many things. And by the way, some of you took our Next Steps class and, and you found out your purpose and you're like, I haven't been called to be a part of the dream team. Yeah, that's on me. It was one of those things where I had so many things going on and we want to launch those teams, but we want to launch them with excellence. That's one of my values is pursue excellence. So if we can't do it well, we're just not going to do it yet. But we are going to launch those in the next 30 days uh, basically out of necessity. But that's why you haven't gotten calls. It's not that we don't love you. I guess they don't think I'm good enough to serve. No, no, no. It's... It was just all on me, and it just something had to give. And, and so like this, this semester, we're teaching a small group. We're not participating in an extra small group. So we have to have these conversations. I just say it's important for us to look at our schedules and make those course corrections regularly. The second culprit of Psalm 62 addresses is, is money. And we all know if there's going to be a source of stress, it's going to be in the area of money. So we've got to take time to look at it. How am I spending it? How am I using it? Where is it going? Is it going to some of the wrong places? So if you ask my wife, in 13 years of marriage, what's our biggest regret? What's the number one regret that we have in our marriage thus far? We would both say it was that we spent too much money early on in our marriage. The first year of my marriage, I was on staff here as youth pastor. She was in graduate school, so we really lived paycheck to paycheck. And then she got a job that paid her quite well. And instead of putting some of that money away and, and relieving some of the stress that finances can cause, we continued to live paycheck to paycheck. And we would just do things like we bought a brand new car for her. And we went on extravagant vacations. And we did all of these things uh, because we deserve it, right? We, we work hard. We should play hard. And we would say things like that. And it caused more stress on our lives. And it was about two years into that, that uh, cyclical, vicious pattern that we said, something's got to give because we're kind of stressed about money. We were pinching our pennies and worried about all of that. And so what we did is uh, we went to Financial Peace University. We, we bought the, the curriculum and we started teaching FPU to our Sunday school class. And we were learning as we were teaching. And it was the best thing we had ever done in our marriage, hands down, for finances. And by the way, that's another small group that you can jump into that Ron and Taylor McClung are co-teaching. That's also on Wednesday nights. If you have stress in your finances, jump into Financial Peace University. In fact, we would love, we'd be honored to uh, help give you a scholarship to help pay for your way into that, or at least part of your way to be a part of that small group. But uh, that was a big regret for us, is we, we were spending too much money. We weren't paying attention to where that was going. 
Look at 1 Timothy 6, verse 6. It says, Money, money's fine, but the love of money's going to mess you up. It says, but godliness with contentment, that's key. That's great gain. We need to look at our lives and make sure we don't let greed and wanting push us into that trap. For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. I've never seen a U-Haul towed behind a hearse. I've never seen that. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, money is not, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's the number one fight in families. It's the number one cause for divorce. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Same thing. I'm, I'm encouraging you to do whatever it takes to say, okay, I want to look at my money. I want to look at how I'm spending it and put things back in order. Jeremiah 6 verse 16 says, this is what the Lord says. And I want you to hear it that way. This is not what Reed says. This is not what uh, the Bible says. This is what the Lord says. So just imagine the Lord saying this to you. Stand at the crossroads and look. So you're at a crossroads. You're at an intersection that I just talked about. And you can continue on the path that you're going on and continue to be stressed out. Or you can make an adjustment and, and turn and get off this path. Course correct. Fix some stuff in areas of time and money. It says, ask for the ancient paths. In other words, get back to some of those old-fashioned God principles because God's way works, everybody. It just does. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. So I'm going to give you a couple of tips today before we close that will help you know how to spend your time and money. You will never know how to spend your time. You will never know how to spend your money until you, number one, live with a sense of urgency and purpose. Live with purpose and urgency. Let me say it this way. One of the best ways you can know what to do is to define what your life is all about. Because when I know what my life is all about, it makes it, it, makes it easier to say yes to the things I'm supposed to say yes to and no to the things I'm not supposed to say yes to. Make your time and money decisions based on does this contribute to my purpose or not? If my life is a breath... That's what we read in Psalm 62. If our life is a vapor that dissipates in moments, I only have a little bit of time to finish what God has called me to do. I am a man of purpose. You are also a person of purpose. So why not live our lives as intentionally as we can toward that purpose? But you can't do that unless you know what your purpose is. That's why one of the greatest gifts of Colonial Hill is we will give you a pathway to discovering your purpose. So our four purposes at this church, we say it this way, we want you to know God. We want you to know God. And one of the primary ways we help you do that is through these Sunday services. So we want you to come in here, and I don't want you just to have a good, feel-good hour. I want you to come here and have an encounter with the Holy God. That's what we're wanting out of this hour and ten minutes. That's why we do what we do. Additionally, on top of knowing God, we want you to find freedom. So you can come to know God, but you still have issues. Your heart's still jacked up. And the primary way we help you through those issues is through small groups. So if you have issues and you're not in a small group, you're not going to get over your issues. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So we go to God for forgiveness, but we go to God's people for healing. Some of you need healing. 
And I'm not asking you to take the mask off with everybody, but I am asking you to take the mask off with somebody. And it won't happen week one in September. It won't happen week three. But around week four or five, you're going to find somebody that you connect with and you say, you know what? I'm kind of struggling in this area. Would you just pray for me? Confess your sins. Pray for each other. You'll get healed. You'll find freedom. A third play is to discover your purpose. And we do that through our next steps class. And I just think that makes it easy. You just, then it, you just say, no, I, I'm so sorry. I, I, can't, I can't help you with that. It doesn't, it doesn't help me accomplish what I'm on this earth to do. I can't spend my money on that because it's not accomplishing my purpose. It gives you a really good excuse out. Listen, I, I really, JC and I try to protect my Saturdays. We really don't do a whole lot on Saturdays. Um, we had a, the memorial service yesterday morning, but we didn't do anything else. I try to protect them. And I don't watch a lot of college football, surprisingly. Um, I, don't, I don't typically go to college football games. We, sometimes we get asked to dinner. We say, hey, any night but Saturday. We really try to protect our Saturdays. Why? Because Saturday's not my purpose. Sunday is my purpose. This is what I'm so excited about. So it makes it easy to say, some people say, well, that's such a sacrifice. No, it's not, because Sunday's my purpose. When you know your purpose, it's easy to say no to the things that aren't your purpose. And, and college football's not my purpose. This is my purpose. So I'll say no to that to say yes to this. Does that make sense? Are you tracking with me? So when you get your purpose, then it's easy to say no to other stuff. Even though you might enjoy that stuff, you say, no, 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 that's not my purpose. Once you know why you're on the planet, you know what to say no to. You know to say what to say yes to. I want you to discover your purpose. I would ask you, I would challenge you to give me one week and come to our Next Steps class. It meets in the Fellowship Hall. If you're not familiar with what that is, it's the very westernmost part of our building. If you go out this side door, it's the glass doors on the other side, and uh, it's the first door on your right. Somebody can certainly lead you there. I would love for you to come to the class. It's one Sunday from 9.30 to 10.30, and we will help you find what God wanted you to do. That's the whole purpose. Who you are, who we are, and how can we do this thing together? That's the purpose of the class. Give me one Sunday. Try it next Sunday. So that you can get on a team and make a difference. And that's ultimately the goal. We want you making a difference. We want you serving on a team. And uh, it'll bring clarity to your Sunday. You'll come here and you'll say, I, I'm called to do something to make a difference. And let me tell you something. I'm just, you just got to trust me on this. When you're doing something that's making a difference in other people's lives, and people are going to heaven, and people are getting baptized because of something you did, you held the door open for them, or you guided them into a parking lot spot, or, or, or you led them in a Sunday school lesson, you'll have less stress. You just will. When you're making a difference in somebody else's life, you're gonna go, you know what, I don't have any stress because I know I'm doing what I was called and designed to do. I promise you. I love this little parable because it really speaks to our finances and our time. It's in Matthew 13, 44. And these are Jesus' words. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. So there's something out there. And if you find it, it's, it's treasure for you. And I would like to think that treasure is discovering your purpose. But for some of you, it's hidden. You got to find it. You got to seek it. And when a, man, when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought the field. What is the field? The answer is the things that last forever. Trust me, when all of this ends, you're going to wish like crazy you had invested more into the eternal than you currently did. You'll get to heaven and go, man, I wasted a lot of time and money. What was I doing? Here's the second principle. 
so you can figure out what to do with your time and money. If you can figure out what to do with your time and money, I'm telling you, your stress levels will come down. The second thing is put first things first. Put first things first. Now, there are a lot of options, a lot of opportunities out there, a lot of social media to look at. But JC and I, we look at our calendars and we say, okay, we're going to put God first. We're going to put each other first. We're going to put our family first. We're going to put our church family first. And if we have time for those other things, awesome. Praise God. But there's sometimes you're like, we just don't have time for it. We don't have time for this extracurricular activity. We don't play every single sport our kid wants to sign up for. Right? I'll try to do some of that stuff too, but I got to put first things first. How do we put first things first? Well, Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and all that other stuff. It's going to be added to you as well. It'll get added, but you got to seek me first. You got to put first things first. Now, I'm not talking about money today, but I'm telling you the truth. I want to put God first in my finances. And I'm not saying this because we need you to give more. Like, thank God we don't have a lot of debt here. We don't, we don't have major debt. We don't have, um, we're able to do amazing things like give to the Mary Hill Davis offering and help Texas missions. We can do a lot of things. I'm just telling you one of the best decisions you can ever make is to put God first in your finances. I'm just telling you, like, just take off the preacher hat and just be a, a, just a disciple of Jesus hat. Like, it's the, it's the best thing. When I did that, I saw how God started working through all my finances when I honored him with the first. Put God first in your time when you wake up in the morning. Give him the first 15 minutes. Just spend some time with him. Get in your words. Say a prayer. Put God first. If you do, you'll be surprised how everything else settles itself. Just giving you principles to relieve stress with time and money. How? I know why I'm here. I've got that purpose. I know I only have a little bit of time, so I have to live with some urgency. I've got to put first thing first. I can't do everything, but I'm going to do the things that are really accomplishing God's purpose in my life. And here's the last one. I've got to keep my heart set on heaven. That's the last one. Even after all that, I've got to lower my expectations of earth. Please write that down. It's not on the screens, but just write down, lower my expectations of earth. I personally believe it's the American gospel that says, oh yeah, we've got to have everything they have in heaven. Look in my eyes, church. By the grace of God, he has allowed us to live in a very good, a very rich, a very blessed life. But this isn't heaven. And it's not supposed to look like heaven. And if you raise that expectation that no, everything has to work out here, you're going to stay stressed. You're going to stay stressed. Because somebody like Dr. Thompson dies and it, you say, well, I, don't, I didn't want him to die. I wanted him to stay here. But if you know that there is a heaven, then you go, well, I'm going there. And I love the family yesterday saying, you know, we didn't even cry today. Because we know there's a tomorrow. The generation before us understood this. I think about my grandparents on my dad's side who grew up in the Great Depression. Both grandparents did. But, but um, they didn't have a lot, if I'm honest. But man, they were happy. They were just happy. I, I've, I've been on mission trips and I've seen orphanages in Mexico and Bolivia. And those kids will play for 12 hours with a stick. They'll play longer with a stick than our kids with 12 digital devices in their room. And I go, they get it. How can they be so happy? I've watched it. Well, they don't have the hope in the wrong place. Their eyes are set on some glad morning when this life is over. That's why Paul said, are you stressed? Therefore, we do not lose heart. 
Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. How, Paul? How do you do that, Paul? He says, so we fix our eyes. Not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I could not give you a message on stress and leave you with the expectation that if you get all of your time and your money in order, that you'll have no more stress. That's not true. So sorry. But you will have ultimate joy when your eyes are fixed, not on the hope of earth, but on the hope of heaven. You will. You have peace. You'll have joy. You'll have hope. And at the end of the day, Jesus offers you so much more than a better now. Jesus offers you so much more than a better now. He offers you a better place. And the question of the day is, are you ready for that place? Are you ready to go to that place? Do you have that peace to go to that place? So, here's what I love to do. I do this at at the end of every service because I know there are people that need God in this room. And that's the reason we do these services, so that you would know God. I want to give you a chance to know God. Not know about God, to know God. So I'd love for you to bow your heads and to close your eyes. And the reason we do this is because if people are looking around, maybe you're a little little less hesitant or a little more hesitant, I should say, to raise your hand and to respond. But I want this to be between you and God alone. Even if you're watching at home, I would love for you to have this moment where you can have a moment with God, just you and him. You are stressed, but he says, in me, you can have peace. You can have joy, you can have love, you can have hope. And your circumstances may not change, but I can promise you I'll be in the middle of your circumstances so that you can stand strong. If you follow my promises, if you follow my principles, I'll make your life better, greater, more abundant. And there's some of you in the room that have never ever placed your faith in Jesus Christ, and I'd love to give you an opportunity to do that today. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to count to three It's just an arbitrary number, but at the end of three, if that's you and you say, Pastor Reed, include me in your prayer, because I'm going to pray in just a moment, and I want to pray for you, and if you want me to pray for you and say, Reed, include me in your prayer, I want to put my faith in Jesus Christ for the very first time today. I'd love to pray that prayer with you today. We celebrated five people today that took the plunge of water baptism because they're placed their faith in Christ. I want you to have that chance to place your faith in Christ today as well. So if that's you, I want you to raise your hand real high. Nobody's looking. It's just between you and God and me on the count of three. One, two, three. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. All right, we're going to pray together. The scriptures say in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Let's pray together. Just say, Lord Jesus, I pray right now you would come into my life, that you be the Lord of it. You take over the driver's seat. Forgive me of all my sins. I lay all that unresolved sin at your feet at the cross today. I'm thankful you're not on that cross anymore, but you rose to new life and you give me new life, a better life on earth and eternal life in heaven. And I thank you for that life. And I thank you for your love in Jesus' name. And all God's people said amen. Amen. Can we just give those that put their hands up and put their faith in Jesus a big round of applause today? Come on. That's awesome.